Welcome to another solo edition of Inappropriate Earl, episode number 80, if I am not mistaken, which is fitting because the 80s are my favorite decade. So hopefully you like this one. This will be kind of a quick one, pro wrestling related, because a little Monday night Raw uh, preview, or at least Sting's participation in it, and then uh, a breaking news story in the world of pro wrestling. But uh, if you saw Monday Night Raw last night, you saw my favorite wrestler, at least my favorite living wrestler, Sting. Yeah, favorite living wrestler over 55, Sting. I mean, that really narrows the field down. Um, open up Monday Night Raw, which I think is the first time ever. And uh, he gave kind of a weird uh, opening speech praising Triple H. Uh, but at the same time, setting up his match at Night of Champions with Seth Rollins. He then proceeded uh, to come on at the end of Raw, the last five minutes, which is basically what I watch nowadays. I watch the opening ten minutes and the, the closing five or so ten minutes. All the stuff in between, I mean, is awful for the most part. Some good matches every now and then, but it's really awful that, you know, two hours and 45 minutes in between the two segments that I watch. Um... Sting came out with John Cena, and they set it up where at Night of Champions, Seth Rollins has to defend both belts, the United States Heavyweight Championship and the WWE Championship. Probably a number of ways they can go here. You know, maybe he retains the belt against Cena uh, and loses the belt, setting up a, I'm assuming, would be an incredibly short run by Sting. I mean... Let's be honest with you, it's not incredibly believable that a 56, 57-year-old dude can fend off the Brock Lesnar's, the the Rollins, the, the Roman Reigns of the WWE world. I mean, like I've said on previous uh, episodes discussing wrestling, yes, I know it's scripted, I know it's quote-unquote fake, but I still like the storylines to sync up and it's just not very believable that Sting could go on a few month run here I think this is all setting up his Wrestlemania 32 match with The Undertaker I'm assuming Sting will beat Seth Rollins although I assume Sting would beat Triple H at Wrestlemania uh, last year I mean I never thought that I would uh see Sting losing his debut WWE match, especially against Triple H, because it made no sense. But I won't bore you with uh, that topic, which I've discussed on numerous Inappropriate Earls and uh, Piper's Pit podcast. And excuse me. But, uh, you know, I think what's going to happen is Sting will win the belt. You know, they might put him in a short feud with somebody else. Or immediately against Seth Rollins uh, at the next, I don't know, one or two pay-per-views down the road. And uh, Sting is defending his championship, uh, which on one hand would be pretty cool because he would be the only person to hold uh, WCW, WWE, and uh, TNA uh, belts. Um, 
but I'm guessing The Undertaker interferes in his match, costing him the title. And then it sets up a nice storyline for the two of them to feud right on to WrestleMania, which I think everyone would assume that would be the final match for both. Uh, I mean, The Undertaker is rumored to have collapsed after his match with Brock Lesnar at SummerSlam. And uh, I kind of find that believable, to be honest with you, because uh, he took some serious bumps from Brock Lesnar. And uh, even if you're young and have very little wear and tear on your body, which is the exact opposite description of The Undertaker, you're going to be hurting. So I'm not sure uh, of The Undertaker's physical condition. I mean, staying at least visually appears to be looking very good. Although I do find it a little odd that they still have him wearing the T-shirt. He's not once appeared uh, showing any of his upper body uh, skin-wise. You know, sometimes he would wear that uh, high uh, singlet. And, uh, you know, so far, uh, no skin for Sting, except his forearms. But I will give the WWE this. You know, I've been their biggest critic with how they portrayed Sting. But the hair last night looking good. I mean, he it shaved 10 years off of, you know, he looked like he was in his 40s. And, uh, you know, the makeup was on point, you know, I mean, it looked good and, and, you know, that's what, you know, I've been saying all along. I mean, if you give this guy a, a decent haircut and make sure the top makeup person backstage is doing their job, he looks good and, and physically he looks great. I mean, he's 56, but he's got, uh, a body as good as, uh, you know, any 30 year old working for the WWE. So, you know, it's, uh, and if you uh, watched uh, Monday Night Raw last week, you know, Seth Rollins, uh, I think it'll be a good match because he proved just in their very uh, limited interaction last week at the end of Monday Night Raw that he'll bump for Sting and he'll bump hard. He, he might actually almost over bump because, you know, like I said, you want a little believability. Um, and, <laughs> you know, when Sting uh, clotheslined him out of the ring and Rollins did like some triple backflip, into uh, Triple H's arms. It, it reeked of that one uh, video on YouTube where Shawn Michaels is overselling for Hulk Hogan because he was, uh, you know, he didn't want to lose to Hulk Hogan. And Hogan said, uh, apparently backstage, I'm winning this match. So uh, Michaels decided to make a mockery of the match by uh, acting like Hulk Hogan was shooting cannonballs at him the whole time. It's pretty funny, and uh, you know, I I think Rollins should probably tone down the selling, which I never thought I would say to a WWE wrestler, uh, especially the last five years. There's not a lot of you know Triple H, you know, sells pretty well when he wants to, and uh, you know, I think it'll be a probably a, I'm guessing a ten to twelve minute match. I mean, I don't know how long Sting can go for these days. I mean, you have to figure a guy in his mid-50s that, you know, the one thing that's going to be hard for him is the cardio. But, you know, I think you let Rollins do most of the running around and the high-flying stuff, and, you you know, you, you get Sting to do his, uh, you know, his, you know, basic four or five moves, you know, the Stinger Splash, the Scorpion Death Lock, the Scorpion Death Drop, the Chops, uh, you know, the Woo Maneuver, and... Uh, you know, it should be fairly entertaining, and I think the build-up would be pretty good. Although, you know, I think Sting has a limited uh, 
appearances uh, contract. So, you know, they got to be very economical or else they'll have to pay them more. And uh, let me tell you something right now. The WWE is tighter than a Jewish accountant at uh, Passover. So, uh, you know, I'm guessing he'll be on TV maybe one out of the next two or three weeks and then we'll see what happens at Night of Champions. But uh, I can't wait for that. And, uh, you know, I know I uh, said this is just going to be about two things, but, uh, you know, I brought up Hulk Hogan's name. Uh, he went on uh, Good Morning America this week and uh, begged for forgiveness, said that people change. And, uh, you know, Good Morning America is literally like the whitest show on television. I mean, it's whiter than albinos in Alaska. Uh, I thought that if Hulk Hogan really wanted to atone for his uh, racist uh, rhetoric, uh, he should go on BET. Uh, go on Al Sharpton's show. It's probably the first time I ever recommended anyone go on that show. Uh, that's if it's still on the air. Um, you know, I often wonder sometimes these shows on MSNBC and CNN, how they last. I think my podcast gets more views than those shows. But, uh, I, it, well, I take that back. Unless there's a plane crash, a CNN, they, they corner the market there. They get every fucking out-of-work pilot and person in the airline industry down there to like give their views uh, half the time i think these uh, out-of-work pilots put the planes down themselves so they can get some more face time uh but what the hell do i know i watch airline disasters on uh or it's actually called air disasters on smithsonian uh, channel because you know uh, i don't know if i've ever really gone into this on any episode of the podcast but uh you know i used to have at one time a, a very severe fear of flying and uh you know i got over it eventually touring the world with rob schneider for four years and by world i mean the united states and canada um you know you just kind of get used to it and you realize that the odds of a plane crashing are you know pretty low but i saw this uh show one night r real late on uh you know smithsonian uh channel direct tv and uh, by the way, uh, you can't get uh, WWE pay-per-views anymore in DirecTV. It's a quick programming note. And uh, it was called Air Disasters. And I thought, wow, I'll watch all these. You know, I guess it's been around for like four seasons now. So I watched every episode up till uh, the current one. Because I thought, you know, what the hell? I have a fear of flying. I'll watch uh, this. Uh, I guess it's not a documentary. It's like a weekly show on why planes crash. So I'll understand why planes crash and, you know, just the incredible odds of it not happening. I mean, I could get on a plane tonight anywhere in the country or world and the odds of me getting hurt going from my home to the comedy store tonight for roast battle are higher. You know, especially the, the drivers on the Sunset Strip after 10 p.m. when the booger sugar kicks in and the booze. But, uh... Basically, what Air Disasters uh, does is they, with actors, of course, uh, show you why a plane crashed. Um, they interview survivors, if there are any, and they do reenactments of the actual crash based off the cockpit voice recorders. And uh, there was this one plane crash, I think it was in San Diego, um, where the pilots were given clearance to take off uh, on a particular runway. And uh, they start. And uh, something I uh, never knew is that, you know, once a plane goes past 140, uh, I think it's 140 miles an hour, 
they can't abort the the takeoff. They have to go, no matter what the circumstances. You know, there's. I'm assuming because the runway is just too short at that point, and uh, if they hit the brakes, they'll end up in someone's living room. And uh, believe me, I've had a few objects land in my living room, and they were usually invited over, if you know what I mean. Doing. Uh, so they uh, started taking off, and uh, there was a miscommunication between them and the tower, and there was construction on the end of this uh, runway. So they, of course, had gotten over 140 miles an hour. They see like a dump truck at the end of where they were supposed to take off. They uh, do the takeoff. I think the wing hit the dump truck, and they go flying into a hangar to the left, and uh, the plane starts to uh, obviously uh, catches fire, and... Uh, the co-pilot says to the pilot, Steve, I can't feel my skin. I'm burning alive. And then the recorder cuts. Now, of course, uh, on the show, they just have the, the actors and reenacting based off the transcripts of the voice recorder. But this was such a frightening crash that I thought, Jesus Christ, I got to go on YouTube and find the actual cockpit voice recording of this particular crash. So, of course, in about three minutes, I find it, I listen to it, and it's horrible. I mean, you know, you hear the co-pilot say to the pilot, I'm burning up, I can't feel my skin, and then just an ominous silence. And the great thing about any YouTube videos is that first comment. Uh, and I recommend to anyone who is extremely confident, uh, put whatever you're best at, Make a five-minute video of it and put it on YouTube and just read the first comment. Because the first comment on this airline crash video was one guy saying one word, pussies. <laughs> and then the second comment was a guy calling the first guy a faggot. And, you know, it's just like, wow, that's crazy, man. So uh, I certainly didn't think I was going to talk about that show uh, on a wrestling podcast. But that's the beauty of Inappropriate Earl. Whether I have a guest or it's just me, I just kind of hit record and we hit, we hit wherever we hit, and uh, we'll, we'll get back to pro wrestling. Uh, breaking news today, uh, September first. By the way, my birthday is uh, September seventeenth. Uh, I'll be forty-seven years old. Uh, my PayPal account is eskakel at aol.com. If you want to send Daddy some cash, I'm just kidding. I mean, I'm half kidding because I am Jewish. So if someone sent me that. You know, some some scratch. Uh, you're not going to be getting a refund. Trust me on that one. Um, but uh, Jimmy Superfly Snuka has been arrested and charged in the 1983 death of his girlfriend uh, in Lehigh County, Pennsylvania. And uh, this is crazy, man, uh, because Snuka's like 72 years old. He was arrested at his home in Jersey. And uh, the bail has been set at $100,000. Now, uh, I don't know if Snook has been smart with his money or not, but I'm assuming a wrestler from the 70s and 80s and his 70s uh, is not very good with his money. And, uh, you know, it's a fascinating case. Uh, his girlfriend uh, died in uh, early May of 1983. And uh, Snooka was in uh, Allentown, Pennsylvania, uh, at the fairgrounds, uh, filming a, or taping a WWF, now WWE show, and he went back to his hotel room after the show, and 
you know, this is where it gets murky. His uh, 23-year-old girlfriend had suffered more than uh, two dozen cuts and bruises to her head, ear, chin, arms, hands, back, buttocks, legs, and feet. And uh, the injuries, according to the coroner, were indicative of force from a stationary object. Now, let me get this rumor uh, out of the way real fast right now. Uh, the stationary object was not a coconut. So uh, let's get that out of the way. Um, and, you know, Snuka was basically the only person of interest in the case. He was never charged, um, you know, but he didn't really help himself by telling uh, a couple people that he had shoved her and she had fallen. But then he changed his story and it got wacky and... Uh, you know, the cops in about June of 83 um, dismissed it as a cold case. And, uh, you know, 30 years later, here we are. And uh, I, I, I mean, you know, the, the girl's family, I, I think, is the main reason that the case was reopened. They kept on the cops. And, uh, you know, uh, it, it's going to be interesting. Uh, you know, Snooka is now suffering from uh, stomach cancer, so I'm sure uh, the health care in prison isn't exactly the best. Uh, I'm amazed that a pro wrestler could live uh, from the 80s uh, into his 70s. I mean, but, uh, you know, I'm sure uh, the WWE will, uh, you know, distance themselves from uh, Jimmy Snuka much like they did uh, Chris Benoit. I mean, Snooka only killed one person. Benoit killed three. So who knows? Maybe they'll give Snooka a promotion. I mean, this is the wacky world of pro wrestling, baby. So, uh, you know, it's going to, you know, be awkward. And, uh, you know, I, I'm sure Snooka will be uh, comfortable in prison. Uh, you know, I'm sure they'll keep him out of general population. That's for sure. I mean... You know, he's obviously capable of jumping off a prison cell, but I think the fighting in rest—I uh, think the fighting in prison is a little more real in wrestling. So, who the hell knows? Uh, so that's like the late breaking news from the world of pro wrestling, and uh, I'm kind of excited. There's a uh, big UFC card September 5th this Saturday. Not really excited for uh, Demetrius Johnson and uh, Dotson. Yeah, I don't like those little guys fighting. I'm actually uh, more into the heavyweight fight. Andre the Pitbull Arlovsky against Frank Mir. With uh, heavy rumors, heavy rumors coming today. Late breaking MMA news that the legendary Fedor Emelianenko has signed with the UFC. Um, although... Uh, a lot of news uh, sites have picked up this. Uh, there's no official word from the UFC, but I'm assuming that the winner of Mir and Arlovsky would uh, possibly be the first, or maybe the loser uh, would be the first opponent for Fedor in the UFC, which kind of uh, was weird because um, last week Bellator uh, announced that Fedor would be attending like their fan expo. And I think just people assumed, oh, he's going to sign in Bellator, get a few easy wins, and uh, ride off into the sunset. But, you know, the more and more I think about it, uh, I don't think he'd come back to fight in Bellator. He wants one shot in the UFC, and, you know, rumors are that he wants a rematch with Verdum, um, you know, maybe Bigfoot Silva. 
and uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, it's the UFC's kind of in a, you know, I'll, I'll give Dana White this. They don't really give guys too many easy fights. I mean, you know, when Brock Lesnar came in, it was all right. You want to be in the UFC? You're going to fight the best guys right off the gate. So I don't know really who they should uh, put him against because it's kind of like, you know, do you put him uh, in there against a guy like Todd Duffy and, you know, take the chance that he could beat a stiff like that or do you give him like, you know, you know, someone outside the top 10 I mean, I look at the top 10 right now in the UFC. I, I got to be honest with you. I don't see too many guys uh, Fedor could beat. Because um, Fedor kind of does that old school Gabriel Gonzaga style training of just training with your buddies. Well, you know, that may have worked in Pride where, uh, you know, some of those fights might not have been 100% legit. I mean, I think most were. But, you know, I think Fedor was pretty much coddled in Pride. Uh but, you know, the top 10 guys in the UFC, you know, he's not going to be fighting any guys like Brett Rogers, who was flipping tires two years before that fight. I mean, real fast, the top 10 in the UFC right now are Cain Velasquez, Deepa Miocic, Junior Dos Santos, Fabricio Verdum, uh, you know, Frank Mir, Mark Hunt, Stefan Struve, Minotaro Noguera, Arlovsky, and Jared Rochalt. I mean... Just on that list alone, I say maybe he could beat Nogueira because, you know, Nogueira's, you know, like 7,000 years old. I mean, he's only 39, but with the wear and tear on that body and face, see, I mean, he he's, you know, pretty beat at this point. Um, I mean, he's got Ric Flair's body with Robert Davi's face. Uh, now, that ain't a pretty combo. So... You know, we'll see what happens, uh, but I'm. It, it will be pretty. Uh, you know, to steal a uh, term from the world of pro wrestling. You know, I'll definitely mark out uh, from the standpoint of. You know, it will be good to have Fedor in the. Uh, you know, in the UFC banner, and uh, you know, you know, some rumors that he might fight on the Ronda Rousey card in Australia in uh, November. In case you guys uh, haven't. Uh, Heard the news, uh, Rousey was supposed to fight in January against Holly Holm, but uh, ruthless Robbie Lawler uh, suffered a thumb injury. So his fight in Australia with Carlos Condit is uh, delayed temporarily. And now, uh, you know, Rousey is fighting in Australia. So that um, is going to be interesting. Um, You know, maybe Fedor could fight in Australia, but I would think that they would, uh, you know, hold hold off on, you know, Fedor, either he would fight, you know, in Russia, Japan, where he's huge, uh, or, uh, you know, maybe New York. If that, I mean, that would be huge if you had, like, John Jones return, Fedor's return, maybe Rousey. Uh, but, uh, you know, who knows? I mean, that uh, UFC 193 in Australia, it's pretty good... Uh, card although i'm already marking out because uh the co-main event is uh mark hunt and bigfoot silva and a rematch and what might be the greatest five round uh not just heavyweight fight but you know five round fight ever in the ufc if you remember their fight from i think two years ago uh both guys ended up being so bloody you literally could not see their face and uh hunt won but uh you know 
Bigfoot's kind of like the new gatekeeper. Uh, I think they want to see Mark Hunt uh, get a win here, and you know, even though he's like, I think his record's like ten and nine or something. Um, you know, he's very well liked, and I think fans like watching him. Uh, he's ten nine and one. I just looked that up to be completely honest with you. Um, but that's a uh, good card, UFC. And uh, UFC 193, and uh, I'm also actually interested in UFC uh, Fight Night, uh, November 7th, Belfour and Dan Henderson uh, headlining that card, and that's uh, maybe the battle of the brain damage. Uh, uh, maybe the winner gets a few extra years of uh, no brain damage, and uh, Glover Teixeira and uh, Patrick Cummings on that card too, and uh, the third uh, card on the main event is uh, Fabricio uh, Maldonado, who I love. I mean, that guy can take punishment like nobody's business. And I know this isn't a UFC show. I mean, there's many, many uh, better shows that cover the UFC than uh, Inappropriate Earl, but I thought I'd get into it a little bit here, extend it so you guys have at least like a half hour to listen to. Um, and other than that, uh, I think that's... Uh, Pretty much it. Um, and by the way, I get uh, a lot of people tweeting me, uh, asking me uh, about the lead investigators in the uh, Superfly uh, Snooker case. Um, it's not the big boss man and uh, the Mountie. Um, although I think the WWE would probably prefer them investigating it than real cops. You, you know how they like those cover-ups in the WWE. You know, my favorite was uh, you know on, you know after the Benoit uh, incident. Um, you know, they do this tribute to him on Monday Night Raw, and then it comes out, you know, what really happened. And then uh, it's just, oh, uh, you know, just a complete era erasing of uh, his history, and rightfully so. Uh, you know, I mean, they were pretty fast to erase Hulk Hogan. And uh, although I think a good idea, and I, I think I might have brought this up on an episode of Inappropriate Earl, but if Hulk Hogan wants to get back in the good graces of pro wrestling fans, I think uh, he should enter uh, a Royal Rumble match uh, or, you know, you could just at WrestleMania, have him do a battle royal with every black wrestler on the roster. Wrestler on the roster. Try saying that at uh, 10 p.m. And, uh, you know, that's about it. There's some brief entertainment news. Um, a lot of racist, uh, a lot of racial... Uh, Stories in the news lately, you know, Black Lives Matter. Well, of course Black Lives Matter. How the hell do you think I win my fantasy football draft every year? Uh, but White Lives Matter, too. Of course White Lives Matter. How the hell do you think I win my NHL draft every year? Hello. Hey, anyone uh, want to get in my uh, WNBA Fantasy League? Uh, there's one more spot left, and, uh, you know, some good dudes are uh, on the board still. Some of those dudes are pr pretty good players. But uh, one racial story that I think is uh, kind of funny is that um, actor Idris Elba, uh, of course, Stringer Bell from one of my favorite shows, The Wire, um, he's rumored to be up for the new James Bond uh, um, role after Daniel Craig leaves. And uh, it's causing controversy with the new James Bond author who said that uh, Mr. Elba might be too street for the role. And, um, you know, I mean... I don't know. I mean, I, I would think, I mean, he's a great actor, white or black. He's a good actor. I mean, I just, I, I don't know if I'll be able to get the, the vision of him being Stringer Bell uh, out of the, uh, out of my head. I mean, maybe they can go with a, 
you know, Isaiah Whitlock Jr., uh, Senator Clay Davis from The Wire. Can you imagine him? I'll take a vodka martini, shaken, not steward. Shit. Um, and it would that even brings the question to, would James Bond even drink martinis anymore? Would he order a martini, shaken, not steward, or a Hennessy on the rocks, hold the ice? What the fuck? I just stole a line from The White Shadow. If you remember the episode where uh, Coolidge went to Hollywood to become an actor... And uh, there's a big party up in the hills, and Thorpe goes up to the bartender and says, uh, give me a vodka uh, martini, actually, uh, uh, on the rocks, hold the ice. <laughs> so, God, I missed the white shadow. Um, hey, does anyone want to join uh, my all-Jewish uh, sketch channel called JewTube? Hello! Now I'm doing material. I'm bombing in my house. Great. I don't know, it's a wacky time in the world. Black president, now black James Bond. I mean, what the hell's next? A white cornerback in the NFL? Hello. Hey, everyone. Uh, McDonald's is now having an all-day breakfast menu, so now you can eat their shitty morning food all day. Hello. So uh, I hope you guys enjoyed this uh, episode. It's kind of a wacky one. Just uh, my caffeine kicked in. Uh I had like four energy drinks today. The fourth one was, um, you know, I drink Diet Rock Stars. Uh, they don't pay me any money, so I, I probably shouldn't have said that. But uh, I went to the gas station up uh, the street from my house where I live uh, just now, and uh, they all know me there. You know, I'm buying my protein cookies and energy drinks there pretty much every night. And uh, I'm like, they were all out of Diet Rock Stars. They had no Red Bull. Um, they had amp, but the refrigerator where the amps were was broken, so they were warm. So I'm like, do you guys have anything? He's like, well, we just got this new energy drink, and uh, I was kind of, you know, I was hurting, so I said, like, I'll take it. Uh, I didn't even look at what it was. He just gave it to me. I opened it up. I guzzled it down, and as God is my witness, it was an energy drink made by the company Extends. Now, if you are familiar with Extends and their uh, other products that they make, they are a penis enhancement pill company and the funniest thing was i'm like okay what's the worst thing i get some caffeine and a boner out of this but then as i was uh finishing the rest of it uh, i noticed they had like a little surgeon general's warning on the uh bottom of the can that said do not drink if pregnant and i thought to myself jesus christ uh if you're a woman and you're pregnant and you have a dick, then low energy is the least of your problems, my friend. Hello. Uh, by the way, just some uh, very quick thoughts on uh, you know. As many of you uh, know, I'm a huge Pittsburgh Steeler fan, and I grew up in Los Angeles. And so a lot of people are like, "Well, Earl, how did you grow up to be a Pittsburgh Steeler fan?" Because in the '70s, it was like I think most of America was either a Dallas Cowboys fan or a Pittsburgh Steelers fan, or possibly an Oakland Raiders fan. And uh, never really told this story before, but my father was the was uh, friends with the original owner of the Pittsburgh Steelers. They were very good friends, Art Rooney Sr. And uh, in my very early youth, I, uh, I would say, you know, from the age of 6 to like 12, when the Steelers won four Super Bowls out of 6, 
Mr. Rooney would send me a game-used Super Bowl ball all four times the Steelers won the Super Bowl, autographed by the whole team. And, of course, I really wasn't in the member of Belia. I didn't really grasp the um, gravity of what I was getting from a legendary sports owner. Um, I mean, the Pittsburgh Steelers are a model franchise uh, for the most part, although I don't think they're quite the model franchise they portray themselves to be. Um, I'll get into that in a second. But uh, I would literally take these footballs out of the box that was very carefully wrapped. And someone, I'm sure, from the Steelers' offices was told, this is going to my good friend out in California. Make sure this doesn't get a scratch on it, even though it was a game-used ball. And each time I would get these balls, I would go in the backyard. Now, I was raised two brothers, two sisters, so five kids total. I was the baby. And But, you know... And I love my parents. They were awesome people. They died two months apart, so they really loved each other. Um, but we were raised kind of like wolves. Uh, you know, once you figured out how to live your life, you know, you just went off on your own. You know, we, we rarely ate dinner together. I mean, I could probably count the family dinners we had on, you know, two hands. Um, but we all love each other. We're a very close family to this day. But... Uh, you know, I, I almost was raised to a degree like an only child, you know. So I would take these balls, and we had a brick wall in our backyard about six feet. And I discovered one day, I think through throwing a baseball against this wall, that if you stood about five feet from the wall, you could play catch with yourself. And uh, so I would do that with these footballs. And I look back now and go, Jesus Christ, what the hell was I thinking? If you know anything about the Pittsburgh Steelers, they might have had the greatest collection of individual members in team sports history. Some may argue the Edmonton Oilers, you know. But, I mean, the Pittsburgh Steelers, I think, had 9 to 10 Hall of Famers of their 22 starters. You had Mike Webster, the center. Uh, Lynn Swan and John Stallworth, the receivers. Terry Bradshaw, the quarterback. Uh, Frank O'Harris, the running back. I'm not completely positive, but Rocky Blyer might be in the Hall of Fame, too. And then on the defensive side of the ball, I think you had three of the four members of the Steel Curtain uh, in the Hall of Fame. Jack Lambert, Jack Ham, the linebackers in the Hall of Fame. Uh, Mel Blunt, uh, cornerback in the Hall of Fame. So you had, like I think, nine to ten Hall of Famers uh, autographs on that on each ball. And although I never would have sold those balls, I think to myself, Man, how much would those balls be worth? And I got to be careful right now because, as many of you know, I live in a gay neighborhood, so uh, I can't be really talking about balls too loud because it's so hot right now in, uh, you know, California that I've got the windows open, so I got to keep it real. But the Pittsburgh Steelers have recently signed uh, Michael Vick, the uh, dog killing quarterback from uh, seven years ago. And as many of you know, I have a dog. Her name is Lois. She's literally like seven dogs in one. I mean, she's a little terrier. She's a Maltese. She's a Brussels griffin. She's got the energy of a Jack Russell. I mean, I think Lois was literally conceived at a gangbang. Uh, but I love Lois. Uh, a lot of people don't know this, but I actually uh, rescued her from Michael Vick's ranch. She was 12-3, uh, and three, lost her last three fights. Hey I'm just kidding, guys. Lois was 28. No, I, I don't adopt fucking losers. But it's tough, man, to root for the Steelers uh, right now. I mean, 
You've got Roethlisberger being, uh, you know, uh, let's just say having some sexual issues uh, off the field. You know, and okay, I can look past that. I mean, he can run the two-minute drill pretty good. And I don't really believe that girl in Reno said he raped her because let me tell you something. Uh, I've been to Reno. You don't have to rape any girl there. And uh, I don't believe that second girl in the uh, college bar in Georgia that said Roethlisberger had six of his friends block the path of the bathroom door while he did whatever. Uh, a lot of people want to know who those six friends were. Uh, I can't tell you who they were, but I can tell you who they weren't. And that's the Steelers' offensive line from the last couple of years. Because if it, if it was those guys, that whole fucking bar would have been back in that bathroom. But uh, now i got to you know, root for Michael Vick, the dog killer. And if Roethlisberger goes down, it's like, do you root for the team? Or do you root for the individual players? And I was so pissed when they picked up Michael Vick. You know, I was like, all the quarterbacks that are out there that need a job, you got to pick this fucking guy. And then on his first play from scrimmage, he threw a 63-yard uh, completion. I'm like, you know what? Killing one or two dogs uh, isn't too bad. I mean, he treated the winners well. Hello. But uh, that's, uh, what am I, uh, Sports Center doing a 30 for 30 on the Steelers? But uh, that's... Episode number 80 of Inappropriate Earl. I just wanted to get something out there midweek. Some of my individual uh, podcasts where I don't have guests seem to be uh, quite popular and do almost as well as the the ones where I've guessed. In fact, the second most listened to episode ever of Inappropriate Earl is my uh, tribute I did at 6 in the morning on Rowdy Roddy Piper. And uh, so I, I, I do appreciate you guys uh, supporting the podcast. You know, we're on iTunes and SoundCloud. And I, uh, you know, I do it for you guys. You know, I've never made $1 off this podcast. I mean, eventually that's the goal. But, um, you know, right now I do it for you. And uh, so if you could please review it on iTunes, that would really help me out. Leave some compliments or, or, or you know, uh, bad things on SoundCloud. You know, I leave everything up, good or bad. Never taking a bad review down. If you go on my YouTube videos, uh, if you look up uh, on YouTube, Earl Skakel uh, opening up for Jeff Ross at the Irvine Improv, you'll see some pretty, uh, pretty tough comments I did not take down. Uh, complete honesty in the world of inappropriate Earl. So, guys, thank you very much. We'll have a uh, guest uh, next week. And who knows, I might do a solo show as well. So uh, you guys are the best. I'm off to the comedy store to do Roast Battle, do my house hater character, and I will see you guys real soon. Follow me at Earl Skakel on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. I'm just Earl Skakel, E-A-R-L-S-K-A-K-E-L. See you!